I fully believe on a energetic, spiritual, whatever you want to say level, that there is a purpose being served. And it might be beyond our understanding, like, you know, for whatever reason, people like us, maybe we didn't drink enough fluoride, maybe we didn't watch enough TV, I don't know. But for whatever reason, we're here, we are playing the role that we're playing to bring these conversations, to bring this this stuff to light. And at the same time, they are playing the role that they're playing. And, you know, without them playing the role they're playing, we wouldn't be waking up. The last two years have been a great opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to finally focus on like what I want and just put my energy into that. And I think that if you're taking that approach, this has been a really beautiful time for, you know, new relationships, new partnerships, new friendships, new, new understanding of what freedom means to us. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with Derek Bros. I first heard about Derek when I came across the Conscious Resistance podcast a few years ago and I actually didn't connect the dots for a while that Derek Bros was actually the host of that podcast and it wasn't until I came to Mexico that I realised that Derek was a very prominent figure in the freedom community. So many of you will know him already, he writes for a number of alternative news websites, he puts out videos, he makes documentaries, he really is making a lot of very important contributions. And what I love the most about Derek is that he's not looking backwards, he's definitely always looking forwards and everything that he's doing with the conscious resistance and with freedom cells, it's all about how we're going to build the future and not just how we're going to fight against the existing paradigm. I hope you enjoy the episode. If you do, please give it a like and please especially give it a share on social media. The account is being heavily throttled now. So anything you can do to get the word out there would be hugely appreciated. And if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five-star review in whichever podcast app you're using and make sure you subscribe for future episodes. As always, if you'd like to give a donation, there are two ways for doing this. The first is by giving a Bitcoin tip, which you can do by clicking that icon on the Twitter page or checking the show notes for the Bitcoin address. And it's possible to do that both on-chain and via Lightning. And the second way is to follow the link in the show notes to buy me a coffee, where you can give a non-Bitcoin donation as well. Tips are hugely appreciated and will go directly towards paying the costs involved with running the show. All right, on to the episode. Derek, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to be able to speak to you. I've been doing a bit of a deep dive into all things about Derek Bros recently. So uh, yeah, loads of stuff to ask, but yeah, welcome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks for the opportunity to connect with you, learn more about you and to speak with your audience. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I've heard a lot about you. I'm, I'm in Mexico as well. And uh, yeah, shout out to Andrew Howard, who uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he, he was the one who managed to kind of uh, connect us in the end, right? Yeah, yeah, Andy reached out to me and mentioned, uh, you know, that I needed to talk to you. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, there was actually a couple of people here who said um, you gotta, you gotta find out about Derek Bros and you know have a have a have a chat to this guy because people know about you out here in Mexico, which is definitely something we'll uh, we'll get into, I'm sure. Um, but before we get into all of that, um, I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit of a background as to yourself because I know that um, kind of before you got into this whole alternative media space and doing journalism and stuff uh you had a bit of a kind of like rocky time um so i'm hoping you might be able to just kind of give my audience a little bit of a background about that sure yeah so my name is derek bros i am 37 years old i'm originally from houston texas as you said i live in mexico now i've been living here for the last two years and um i've been doing independent media journalism for uh, about a decade now and kind of 
dedicating my life to activism in various forms for the last 12 years, you could say, since about 2009, 2010. Uh, that's been, you know, this journey that I've been on doing uh, public speaking, writing books, doing articles, documentaries, things of that sort. Uh, but as you mentioned, prior to that, in my previous life, it almost feels like um, in my late teens, early 20s, I really kind of got sucked into just like the world of drugs and alcohol abuse and all kinds of things. And that had been preceded by kind of just growing up as a super depressed little kid, a young kid, and just not really knowing how to navigate a lot of the emotions I was dealing with and situations happened in my home life, particularly my father and different members of my family being involved in drugs and going to prison and things like that, and just really being influenced by that. Uh, so, you know, I kind of went into depression at a young age and eventually had some bouts with depression and some suicide attempts. And by the time I graduated from high school, I went right into college and I just started drinking a lot and that drinking turned into taking pills and that turned taking pills turned into using crystal meth. And then that turned into getting locked up. Um, and I got arrested November, 2005, about a week or so before I turned 21. And that was kind of the beginning of my life shifting in a lot of ways. I mean, it had already started to happen prior to that. Like I already knew I was going down a, a path I didn't want to be on. And I was, I actually got myself sober before I got arrested. I, I just was still kind of in the world of drug dealing and making money that way. I'd kind of got into that for a little while. So I was able to get my my mind and my body out of all the insanity and get, you know, sober and whatnot. But I was still just kind of in the mindset of like hustling, making money that way. And it's interesting because now in the world that I live now of my political beliefs and philosophical beliefs, I don't think that I was doing anything wrong. I don't think I was causing anybody harm. I mean, I wasn't in a good position. I was definitely like not doing well mentally, you know, and I was using drugs as a way to self-medicate. But ultimately I didn't, I don't think throwing me in a cage and putting me in prison would, was the most ideal situation or is even an ideal way to try to help people at all. Um, ultimately I had to make it my own personal choice when I was in that position to say, all right, I'm going to do something about this. I don't want to just be like my father and my you know, uncle, other people in my life that I saw getting locked up, going to prison and just kind of cycling in and out of that system. And so I had to really start digging deep. And that's when I started to uh, do a lot of like the individual healing, do some journaling. I discovered meditation, got into Buddhism for a while while I was locked up and uh, just, yeah, started kind of on my healing journey. And, you know, so I did that. 2005, 2008, got, ended up doing 18, 19 months before I got out. And uh, yeah, so by the time I was getting out, late, late 2008, going into 2009, June 2009, I got off parole. I was like finally done with this prison system after going back and forth with it for about, you know, those two or three year period. And um, it was in that space where I was like, now I'm a felon. I've got this whole experience of like, I can't get a job here, can't get rented here. Some people judge you. That's when my mind was like, I was already kind of opening up spiritually from things that were happening to me in prison and things I was going through. But then coming out, I, I never really trusted government or anything like that. So it sort of evolved to me starting to question like the, the world at large around me and, you know, everything else I'm doing now. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to know whether you think that that experience that you had, like wh whether you would be who you are now and doing the things you're doing now if you hadn't have had that experience, because I guess, you know, with a lot of the time people who are kind of in the, you know, quote unquote awake community, um, often they've gone through some kind of trauma and that was in some way required or, or necessary or a kind of prerequisite to kind of bring them to where they are. So do you feel like that was the case for you? Yeah. 
Um, I mean, I definitely think that, as you said, that I've seen over the last 12 years of being involved in these various communities that so, like a lot of people do have traumatic events. Sometimes somebody will get sick, they'll get cancer and it'll cause them to question their whole life or somebody in their family will die or they'll go to prison, right? Or something really kind of strong life shifting can happen. And, you know, I I don't really know if I believe in fate. So maybe, you know, if I, if I did believe in fate, I would say, well, it's going to happen that way one way or the other. I'm fated to do what I'm doing now. But I don't know. I do know that it seemed to impart a lot of uh, wisdom and uh, really, really empowering experiences through it. As much as I hate that institution and the prison and the time that, you know, I went through it. Uh, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I, it, it shaped me into who I am at the moment. And it, I really think that uh, in a lot of ways getting locked up and, you know, I, whenever I share this story, I usually ask people like, have you ever really experienced a situation where you're truly powerless? Like, you know, hundred percent powerless where, you know, I don't think you're ever really powerless, but what I mean by that is like in the sense of you're in this box, in this cage, these four walls, and nobody can get you out of there. Girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, mom, dad, pastor, priest, lawyer, nobody can get you out, right? You can call them you want, you can cry, you can rack up the phone bills. It's not going to make a difference. You're there and you're looking at the calendar and you're like, wow, the earliest I'm going home is like next year, you know? And that's a pretty defeating feeling or it can be, it can definitely is like a feeling of powerlessness. And so you see in prison, you see people um, gravitate towards, well, there's a lot of things like the most, I think, primal kind of base ways of thinking, namely like racism and stuff like you, you look like me, we're the same skin color. So we all hang out, right? Like I'm, uh, I'm native and, you know, Mexican and uh, part of my family is Czech as well. So I'm kind of a, a mutt. So when I was in there, it was like, Hey, these, this group of people's telling me I need to hang out with them. And I can't talk to this other group of people. It just this whole other, like it's, it's real low level way of thinking it, but it's because there's so much fear there, right? Fear that is masked as a uh, machismo and like toughness. And like, you know, we're going to, fight and all this stuff but really it comes down to a lot of people just dealing with fear so it's just like a whole other ecosystem and you see people dealing with this in different ways you know you could choose to go in there and blame everybody for your it's their fault that you're locked up you know it's like it's the cop's fault or it's your girlfriend's fault if she didn't do this thing it's your parents fault you know there's and sometimes maybe it really is the fault of somebody else that you're in the situation but ultimately and this is where i think a lot of uh my discovery of buddhism i started to um started to read the Dhammapada, the Buddhist Bible, I get chapters sent to me like on a daily basis because I discovered it. One of the, one of the weekends it was in the newspaper. They had like a religious section that quotes from the Bible, the Torah, the Quran, different traditions. And they had a quote from the Dhammapada from the Buddha, the Buddha. And it was something, I can't remember which one it was, but it was just like, wow, it hit me really deeply. So I started getting sent chapters of it, started kind of developing my own meditation practice, started journaling every day and thinking about like, how the heck did I get here? You know, I'm locked up and the same thing my father did, you know, for the things I was angry at him for, just had to do that whole thing. And so I don't know that without that, I would end up doing what I'm doing now. You know, I did mention earlier, I was able to get myself sober, but I was still, I was still kind of running those same circles. And even when I first got arrested, to be honest, like if I, I was, I was trying to get out as quick as possible. So when I got locked up, I knew I was like, I just got caught with crystal meth and some scales and some bags and some things. I'm probably, you know, I never been in major trouble, but I figured I was probably screwed. And, uh, I got in and they offered me probation and I was like, Oh my God, probation. Like, heck yeah, I'm signing this. I'm going to get out by the weekend. I Cause I didn't want my family to know. I didn't want anybody to know. I figured I could just get in and take care of it and nobody would even know the difference. And they kind of, they, you know, I did get screwed. They lied to me. They told me that I was going to sign for probation, 
They had me sign on a Friday. I went back and they said they were going to see the judge on Monday and release me. When I went back to the the cell, everybody everybody I was talking to was telling me, man, that doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like a, a, a deal we've ever heard of. And it just something, you know, I got that gut feeling. It was like, okay, I think I'm going home Monday, but something doesn't feel right. And I, sure enough, I went back and saw the judge and the judge was like, we're going to give you um, um, two years felony probation, but we're also going to give you a concurrent jail sentence. So I was on probation, but also sent to prison. So it was this really weird thing. But in the end, you know, I, I guess it did have to happen because like I said, up to that point, I was still thinking like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get out. I know I can go hustle. I was already starting to like scheme again on how I could make more money to, and, and the way I knew how to make money at that time was selling drugs. And so I was just, I was still in that mindset. In fact, you know, usually what happens if you're not ready to change, you go in and you meet new people and those people know how to do uh, identity theft or they know how to do this hustle or they know how to do this drug connection or this thing. And then you get into a whole nother world that you've never been involved in. So, yeah, I mean, I needed as much as I hate to say it, like, and I don't think I don't ever credit prison, the institution for saving me or putting me on the path I am now. It was my own personal choice. Not everybody makes that choice. My father cycled in and out of institutions his whole life and never made the choice to stop going there. Um, But it was that time that allowed me to just kind of reflect on what the heck was going on with my life. And I really was in a dark place and I felt like I needed this this break, like even to the point that two weeks before I got locked up, my mother had found me like in the room I was staying with at her house when I was coming off drugs and getting sober, just like in the closet on my knees crying. And she's like, son, what's going on with you? How can I help you? And I just remember telling her, I need a pause. Like everything is going too fast. And then two weeks later I got arrested. So be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy story. So in that time when you were kind of you know, you said that you were kind of getting into, into Buddhism and stuff like that and, and meditation. How did you go from there to kind of getting involved in alternative media and journalism and that kind of thing? Like where, where do those two things connect? So I, I think I kind of mentioned, I've always been in, I've always been curious and skeptical of, uh, government and, uh, things of this sort. I, even well, bef- well before I ever really knew what the word anarchism was or libertarianism or voluntarism or any of these kind of terms that I, you know, would become important to me later on. Um, I remember being in like elementary and checking out books about, um, UFOs or the Bermuda Triangle or, you know, things that are just like, I was skeptical. I was curious. I was like, why are there's these, these supposed mysteries out there that I'm not being told about or that people think are crazy and they could be real. It was just, yeah. it got me really curious. I remember at a young age about all kinds of paranormal type things and things that maybe some of them I don't necessarily believe or really think there's strong evidence these days, but it was really like that curiosity that was already in me. And then in junior high, I'm listening to like Rage Against the Machine and a lot of bands that are like, you know, obviously anti-authority. And I, and I got into punk. I was, you know, I, was, uh, I still do love punk, but I grew up, you know, as, as a punk and metalhead. So there's a lot of anti-authority stuff in those songs and those lyrics, but it wasn't anything that I ever really <clears throat> had any strong philosophy with. It was just like, yeah, fuck the government kind of thing. Like, generally speaking, right. It wasn't like, here's my deep philosophy behind why I feel that way, yeah, yeah. you know. So it was kind of more like teen angst. And so that, I feel like that was kind of always in me. But at some point when I got depressed and got into drugs, like I just forgot about all that stuff. And then when I got out of prison and I got off parole, as I mentioned, I was a, I was a felon now. And I remember I was just going to the library all the time, <clears throat> checking out Well, I was looking, I was trying to apply for jobs. So I was using the computer. I didn't have my own laptop at the time. I just got out. I was going to the library 
to look up for jobs that would hire a recently released felon. And, you know, sometimes that's pretty difficult for, you know, and so I ended up doing that quite a bit, trying to find jobs for a while. And while I was at the library, I decided like, hey, I'm going to read one of these books. And it was this, it sounds kind of silly, but I mean, through that process of when I got addicted, got locked up and then started going through this, you know, awakening kind of transformation, I felt like this cloud was lifting, like this cloud of not only the depression and the drugs and all that stuff, but like this cloud of like, I'd forgotten who I was, you know, and, and as that kind of was lifting away and I was able to feel good and for the, probably the first time in my life and just excited about the future and just curious again, it's like I rediscovered this, this piece of me that was always there, this desire to learn and to understand the world. And uh, so with that newfound excitement, I ended up checking out this book called Cannabis, A History, which is just a really cool book. It's all about cannabis, but not just like, here's a bunch of drug stories. It's it's more like the sociological impact, the legal impact, the historical impact. And just, I mean, it, it just does a great job, but it really was the first book that opened my eyes to just how much, like starting with the drug war, how I was lied to with things I was taught in high school or college and things like that, for example, um, especially because I was getting out of getting out of prison as part of the drug war, you know, having just gone to prison for a victimless, nonviolent crime, you know, but an illegal drug. And I learned, you know, the origins of cannabis being made illegal, the, the role that the hemp industry played in that, the role that the, the uh, or that the oil industry played in driving out hemp, uh, the role that like racism against black jazz musicians and Chinese, you know, immigrant workers played, you know, all these different things. And that was really the curiosity that kind of opened in me. And then from there, it was like, I went this is 2009. Like I went to a Barnes and Noble. There happened to be an Alex Jones documentary. I watched that. I happened to be reading Ron Paul's book, Revolution Manifesto. I was listening to a metal band that was literally writing like these heavy songs about the Federal Reserve. And then a, like a week later, Ron Paul spoke at the University of Houston. Like all that happened within a week or two. And it was just like, Phew. and that was kind of the really big, the beginning of a lot of my journey. And I started to get involved with, uh, just local activism. I started an activist group called the Houston Freethinkers, which was active for about eight years or so. And, um, you know, just did all kinds of different things, documentary screenings. Uh, I was also, I was a promoter, so I was always promoting music. And I started doing benefit shows, bringing together artists and musicians against the war or for this cause or feed the homeless or just different things. So we were doing like community garden stuff. We were doing documentary screenings, protests, marches, rallies, uh, skill shares, you know, anything you could think of just over that time. And, you know, along the way as well, I started to see that the local media, they were lying about us. Like the first time one of our members de dealt with a cop, they totally lied. You know, when I got arrested, they spun the story around. The cops pulled a shotgun on us. And then they said we were the ones that were aggressing on the cops. And it was little things like that that started getting me wanting to like, you know, I think I could probably do this better than they are. So I didn't go to school for journalism. I didn't, you know, I, I just kind of trained myself just by a curiosity, but also since then just taking journalism courses from the mainstream because I want to kind of take the best pieces of those things and leave the rest. But most of it has just been like me learning my desire to like investigate, to understand the world around me, starting in Houston and then kind of expanding to doing like bigger national stories, traveling to Standing Rock, traveling to Ferguson in 2014, going to Detroit, going to uh, other places to cover important events and, and stories and things that I, you know, keeping up with. And um, yeah, and that's kind of, you know, it, but it really did start with like coming out of that transformation after prison, opening up my mind again and wanting to learn. And, and it's just been since then, like probably it took a couple of years in when I started to realize, okay, this might be something serious if I start to take it serious. At first it was just like, cool, I'm getting paid a little bit extra money on the side to, you know, write about things I care about. 
And then I started to realize like, okay, I want to take this more seriously. I want to actually have some standards and, and make sure that if I put my name on something, an article, a documentary, a book, et cetera, that people can trust it. And that I know that I stand by the work that I'm doing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you are doing some awesome work. I've just finished um, watching the documentary that you did about the finders, which is really, really well made and really well researched. And you've obviously got a gift for doing this kind of stuff. So yeah, that, that's great that you ended up kind of coming back around to it after having all of this time out in prison. And, you know, I think that a lot of people have had that. I mean, obviously it's not just necessarily like prison or something like that. Like sometimes you have these gaps in your life because uh, a lot of what you just said there, like resonates with me as well. You know, when I was, when I was younger, I mean, for, for me, it was kind of nine eleven was like a really big, big moment in my life. And I started going down this, this path of, of thinking the world is not as it seems like it was a huge kind of watershed moment for me that I was like, something is not right. And, you know, I, and I was the same, I got into watching, you know, uh, Alex Jones, uh, documentaries and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of, I went down that, um, I guess like libertarian slash, you know, skeptic route, uh, of, you know, getting into kind of like conspiracies and stuff. And I, I moved away from it and I don't know exactly why that was. It, I guess it was just the, the gravitational pull of so many people in my life just, not being involved mm. with that it was almost just like by process of osmosis i went from kind of being into these ideas just being like oh well no one else in in society is interested none of my friends or my family or whatever is interested in this stuff and you know they think i'm you know a bit of a kook maybe they've, they've not necessarily said that or whatever but i that's how i felt right and then eventually i've kind of more sure. recently like covid was was the thing that then i guess has kind of brought me a bit more back into that world of making me feel like i want to to contribute to this alternative movement that's brewing but i feel in a, in a similar way it's like that whole time in between that you know there's nothing kind of necessarily wrong with it but i definitely feel more in tune having come back around to um focusing my time and energy on pursuing truth in some way do you see what i'm do you see what i mean yeah no i think that's awesome man and it's uh you know i think that what you just described there is probably one of the reasons that many people don't stick around too long or choose not to at least publicly question things uh, too boldly because it's a very isolating experience. You know, over the last 12 years now that I've been doing this particular, you know, line of work, whatever you want to call it, I've met so many people, especially from doing live speaking events, tours across the U.S. and Mexico. And so many people everywhere say like, oh, I thought I was so alone before I, you know, joined this group or before I met these people. And you know, they say that their, their, their husband thinks they're crazy. Their wife thinks they're crazy. Their kids think they're crazy. Their parents think they're crazy. You know, it's like whatever whatever age or background they're coming from, they're being judged. They're being kind of attacked and maligned by people in their family. And, you know, it can be a very isolating thing. So I can totally understand how you, you maybe have these curiosities or these thoughts or concerns. But if you're looking around and you're feeling like, well, dang, if I take these positions or even go down these roads, it's going to be pretty lonely. And, you know, it's not necessarily something that, and anybody really wants to voluntarily do, you know, go isolate themselves in, in pursuit of truth. But sometimes, uh, you know, I think that many of us do also on the other side of things, discover that we meet people who we feel we can actually be ourselves with and be more genuine and be more honest and be more real with people. And we, in many cases, kind of make um, new, almost new familiar, new family connections, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's the thing, you know, I've, I've said this a few times before that it's almost like, I think with with some of these big world events and things that affect you deeply or, you know, even things that you just think there's something like not quite right here. You kind of have, have the opportunity to either just turn a blind eye to it 
or to kind of go into it deeper and to say, okay, I'm going to go into this thing that feels uncomfortable for me. And I think that when you really go into it and you get past that initial discomfort, it can really like enhance your life. You can actually have, you know, some of your most fulfilling moments through going into that discomfort and saying, you know, I'm not going to just take the easy path. Right. You know, I know that this has been the case for a lot of people, for instance, like with the vaccine and, you know, like I I know for me personally, for, for a lot of other people I've spoken to, like not getting the vaccine, taking that stance and saying, you know, the, the whole of society is, is kind of weaponized in the, service of me getting this vaccine and I'm going to decide not to get it. And that Mm. actually comes at huge personal cost quite often, you know, and and I'm not having to go anyone who who decides to take it for their own reasons, but for those who don't want to take it, you kind of have these two choices. Do I do the easy thing and not necessarily have a deeper, more meaningful life experience through this, or do I do the hard thing? And I have that experience, but I have a harder day-to-day life, you know, that things are, there's more friction in my life. Right. And, um, you know, I think that that was a big litmus test kind of for that, um, experience to, to, you know, for most people, like what decision you made when it came to that, um, was a big, big deal. And that's just one big example. Obviously there's, there's many other examples, but I think that's a big one that a lot of people have have found recently. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, that's, um, I've seen this in so many different communities, not even necessarily just like this particular subculture, alternative media, freedom community, truth community, crypto. Like there's a lot of overlap these days between some of these uh, various communities. But even outside of that, I mean, just like, for example, one example, the permaculture community, the intentional community community, all of these various subgroups and subcultures saw this dividing line because of the shots, you know, people who like, for example, there are people who are living in intentional communities. They've been living together for 20, 30 years. And then all of a sudden this COVID thing happens, the vaccine rollout happens. And then there are people who are on this side who say like, yes, we all need to do this. We need to mask up. And there's other people who are like, I'm never going to put that thing in my body. Right. I mean, it really has, and even relationships. I mean, I spoke with people who had to get divorced because of, they came down on different sides of uh, the conversation. So it, it really is, um, I think uh, the human cost of some of these kinds of um, events that we're seeing unfold in our world. Yeah. I, I'm increasingly feeling with all of these things that, you know, I, I guess at the beginning, there was a part of me that was kind of regretful or it, not necessarily outwardly, but even just internally kind of regretful of the, the way the world was going and kind of wishing it was a different way. And now I've, I've really kind of moved a lot past that. I don't have any kind of regrets for the things that have happened. I just think, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad that we've had this, this peak behind the curtain and it's given, you know, people the opportunity to, to, to kind of shine and to, to have some, you know, deeper life experience if they, if they kind of, you know, choose the right response to it, I guess. Do you feel optimistic? Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, I mean, I think that things are still going to get worse before they get better. I think that um, the idea that things are on the men now is a temporary state. I think that things are going to get still a lot worse. I'm going to have more sure. more trials, but yeah, I, I do. I, I actually think that, I just think that the, the level of connection or, or kind of spiritual whatever it is like i don't necessarily want to say awakening because it sounds maybe a little too um a little too over the top but just sure. it seems that, that there is something that that happens when you choose to reject um the orthodoxy of what's going at the moment that does bring you closer to alignment with your source and i think that, that seems to be what's happening and, and i can't deny it. when i see that effect taking place I struggle to kind of deny it and go oh, okay well that's going to just fizzle out i think that when when something does feel kind of transformational on a spiritual level 
I tend to think that that's going to happen for a good purpose, even if they're, I think there'll be casualties along the way. I think things will, things will get bad, but you know, for mm. those who are able to see it out through the end, I think that there will be rewards, you know, both on the individual level and on a global level for that. How about you? Yeah, you know, I, I I think I'm pretty similar in my assessment, you know, especially as far as what you said with the idea that things are going to get rougher before they get better, but that there will be a better at some point, you know, when or what that looks like. I don't think any of us really know at the moment. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I've really told so many people that the last two years, starting in March 2020, which is when I moved to Mexico, I'd already been, my partner and I, we already knew we wanted to move to Mexico. We've been visiting for the last seven years and she has family out here. And we had a plan like, okay, a couple of years from now, we'll make this move, et cetera. And then whenever COVID started happening and toilet paper started disappearing and the government started talking about uh, restricting interstate travel and checking license plates leaving Rhode Island and New York City, that was just like, okay, these are red flags for me. Let's go to Mexico. Let's watch this from a distance. And, you know, at first it's like a reaction, you know, out of not necessarily fear, but just out of awareness of like, oh my God, things are, you know, getting crazy. I need to be prepared. And that's just the way I sort of approach this. And I think a lot of people are doing that. So many people are coming to Mexico, coming to different countries, moving from one state to another because of different things. People are making their moves. But Ultimately, I think that it was actually a pretty good, a pretty positive thing, or at least maybe in the long term, we'll be able to see that because it seems like for many of us, myself included, it was sort of a kick in the ass to say like, you know, get your shit together. Like if you have plans, you have goals, like this is the time to focus on them, to key in on like, what do you want, you know, in terms of what we're facing, what do you want your 2030 to look like, right? Like, what do you want this next decade to look like for you? And especially then you roll around to June, 2020 and ideas like the great reset are announced and people been learning a lot more about that the last couple of years that there, I think it just became this great impetus. And again, whether or not you're concerned more about getting sick from something like COVID-19 or from government lockdowns and authoritarian measures, it seemed like the last two years have been a great opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to finally focus on like what I want and just put my energy into that. And I think that if you're taking that approach, this has been a really beautiful time for, you know, new relationships, new partnerships, new friendships, new, new understanding of what freedom means to us. What do we want from, for our own lives? Right. I think too many people were way too comfortable before COVID started happening before the government started doing all the things that they've been doing. And in, in reality, maybe this was sort of another awakening or wake up for even the people who think they're so conscious and awake to really say, okay, am I really ready to move into this new paradigm? Like, am I able to take care of myself, my family, my friends? Am I able to get good, clean water and food? You know, just, just having this whole conversation and rethinking, like, what does freedom mean to us? What do we want the future to look like? And, you know, it's a really strange, beautiful trip we're on right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a nice segue, actually, because you mentioned the um, the Great Reset in 2030 and stuff. And you've got this campaign, The Greater Reset. Um, I'm wondering if you just kind of go into that a little bit. Yeah, The Greater Reset is it's, – it's meant to be – so as I mentioned, June 2030 – June 2020, the World Economic Forum, they announced The Great Reset. They put out this video saying that COVID-19 has shown that it's time for a reset of capitalism and resetting, remaking, redesigning all the different world's food systems, uh, the world systems, food, education, technology, communication, hospital, healthcare, et cetera, just redesigning everything. And uh, yeah, many of us started paying attention to 
some of us were already paying attention to the World Economic Forum, but a lot more of us started paying attention after that and wondering, what do they mean by this Great Reset? What is this whole thing, the Fourth Industrial Revolution? And what is that all about? And, you know, essentially, when you get into it, the people at the World Economic Forum, particularly Klaus Schwab, the executive director, the founder, they promote themselves as if they are the, you know, would-be sort of uh, central planners, technocrats uh, is a more specific term, that want to manage society. It's just, you know, the same old thing, top-down management of society, thinking that they know best what's for the future. And, but it's sort of doing this in terms of bringing in new technology and emerging technologies, technologies which, as neutral tools, have the potential for both good and bad things that can be really great for humanity and things that can also mean the end of privacy, the end of uh, um, individual liberty, you know, bodily autonomy, things like this. And so um, their vision is, is one that I don't think most people hearing this would probably want, um, or even if they like some of the ideas, they probably would want to have a choice and want them to be done voluntarily. Uh, but instead, the World Economic Forum and their partners in the United Nations and other organizations they consider this to be public-private partnerships, government and nonprofits and NGOs and corporations working together to bring in the world that they want. Um, definitely not a top, you know, I mean, definitely more of a top-down than a sort of people-driven grassroots change. So, you know, that starts being announced in, Ju in June. I did a couple of investigations. I did a little mini documentary on that that summer as I was diving deeper into this. And by the fall... I was looking ahead and January 2021 was going to be the World Economic Forum's next meeting, their first post-COVID meeting, where they were going to officially unveil like their plan for the Great Reset. And um, I'm watching this date and I'm talking with some friends and my work always – I always try to take a solutions-focused approach. So whether that's my journalism, whether that's you know documentaries, books, whatever, it's like I want to try to give people tools they can actually use in their lives. So um, I started thinking in those terms like, okay, so what can we do? Like if, if – if we don't do anything, if there's no way to actually focus on solutions, I know it's going to happen because I've seen it before with other organizations, other groups. The World Economic Forum is going to meet in January 2021 for five days. All the different researchers, independent media, conspiracy theorists are going to obsess about it for five days. Did you see what they said? Did you hear this thing? Did you see who's there? And focus on that, put all our energy into that, and then that's it. And then, you know, it'll end and we'll go about our lives and they'll continue to do their thing. And it just, it didn't seem like that, that, that was going to be enough. Like, it's like, dude, we're moving into a whole new stage here. These people are moving pretty quickly. Their plans seem to have accelerated. And so that kind of started some conversations about what would it look like to directly counter them by hosting a similar event. The World Economic Forum typically meets for four or five, six days, sometimes a week and discuss things like technology uh, health, um, governance, you know, all kinds of different ideas. And they get the so-called experts from government and corporations and all these people to come together and they have their whole schmooze fest. So we thought like, what would happen if we got, excuse the, the noise here. What would it, what would it look like if we got five, if we brought, yeah, if we had five days of the brightest minds from independent media, from health, from community building, permaculture, decentralized technology, privacy tech, like all these different areas. And so that evolved to become what we call the Greater Reset. Uh, the website's thegreaterreset.org. And we first launched it in that that uh, that beginning of uh, January 2021. We had our event the exact same time the World Economic Forum was meeting. We've subsequently had three different events. Our fourth one will be coming up in January. And it's a live event. People can come either live in Mexico or live in Texas. And it's also online on our website, streamed for free. And it's five days of solutions. This is the most important part is like, it's not a debate about 
crypto or viruses or Trump or the news or, you know, those sorts of things, like have those conversations if you want, but all the speakers, all the presenters, you know, with our different themes, we have a, a theme around food and permaculture, health, which is mental, spiritual, physical health, uh, community building. So people who've built communities, people talking about community governance, decision-making, all kinds of ideas like that. Um, uh, decentralized tech, taking back our tech, you know, so all kinds of decentralized technologies in various ways. Um, and then we also have uh, counter economics. So talking about different ways to get off the mainstream financial system, whether that's crypto, alternative currencies, et cetera. So it's five days of people presenting solutions. And these are just brilliant speakers from around the world. And now we're, we were in the last event, we had 27 countries tuning in at the in-person event in Mexico. We had 400 something people show up. I think we had uh, 12 to 15 different countries represented in person. So it's just, it's been an amazing way. And I think really what's most important is it's giving people a true sense of hope, not false hope, not hopium, believe in me, vote for me, I'll fix it kind of thing. But a real sense of like, hey, there are things we can do in our lives, despite all this insanity going on in the world. And it's been really beautiful to see to, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, to see like the crypto crowd, the spiritual crowd, the conscious community, the psychedelic kids, the, you know, the conspiracy theory, this overlap of all these different people. And the one thing that really seems to be uniting people, if there's one single thing we could put it on, I would say would be bodily autonomy, self-ownership, those kinds of ideas. You know, there's a lot of areas where people don't agree. Some people love crypto. Some people think crypto is a scam, right? I mean, there's a lot of disagreements within the broader community, but there's a lot of uh, common ground around those basic principles. And so it's been really beautiful to see it kind of merging. And, and our event has been just one expression of that, that I think so many people are tired of just hearing about the problems that they really want to like hear some ideas of what they can actually do for themselves and their family. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, like you say, there's there's so much um overlap here between different communities and you know going back to what you asked me before of like am i kind of optimistic like th this is one of the things that does make me op optimistic is just as you say there are all of these different groups coming together you've kind of got like you know people who are kind of extreme like on the anarchist side you've got like trump supporters you've got people who are kind of like on the holistic health side of things you, so sometimes you've even got people on the like super far left um you know advocating for for um for for some of these the same things which is as you say um you know having more kind of um individual autonomy having more um just less uh kind of general interfe interference um in in our lives and the ability to kind of you know form communities i guess that's one of the one of the key things is like forming more localized communities which is it, which is kind of cross it's um what's the word bipartisan you know it's not really an issue that's just reduced to one yeah. group so i just want to go into into your philosophy a little bit because um you do you describe yourself as like an anarchist or a voluntarist or like you know how would you kind of describe your i guess not necessarily political philosophy but more your kind of life philosophy i guess yeah i mean I, d I think over the years of, you know, once you start putting in a lot of work, there's a lot of different things out there with your name on it, right? And so there's probably been times where I've referred to myself as an anarchist. There's probably been times specifically, you know, referring to myself as a voluntarist. Um, if, if you know, pushed to label myself, I would probably say agorist, um, you know, market anarchist is kind of more specific. Um, but as far as like even broader than that, because I think that that is a crucial part of who I am, my, you know, my reasons for believing in market anarchism or agorism, these kinds of concepts are related to my belief in like moral principles and values, like the non-aggression principle and thinking that 
because of that, you know, government isn't a moral tool, you know, so it's all sort of interrelated. But generally speaking, like I've over the years, you know, I've called my belief system, for lack of a better term, essentially the conscious resistance, which is my main website. And then more recently in the last couple of years, what I've referred to as holistic activism or holistic anarchism. And, you know, generally speaking, the when I talk about the conscious resistance, it was this, for me, it was this understanding. I don't think I mentioned this, but this will kind of help explain it. Like when I first got out of prison and I was in that stage that I was describing earlier of like really just excited about life and learning, I was, I was diving deep into, you know, the, political philosophy. I was going to like anarchist bookstores and, uh, you know, going to the end the fed local meetups and just anything I could get in my hands. And I was just trying to meet people and just learn. And I was super pumped up and excited. I was going to like, you know, anonymous. I remember the first protest I went to, it was like an anonymous protest. This is like 2008 against the church of Scientology in Houston. I had no idea what it was. I just like, people are wearing Tom Cruise masks and I'm just like, cool, I'm going to come hang out. But, you know, I was starting to really just like, I need to know, like, what are the movements out there? What are the people talking about? What's going on? And I was also diving deep into my spirituality. I was hosting meditations. I was meeting other spiritually minded people in Houston. And so for the first couple of years of my activism, 2010 to basically 2013, uh, late 2012, I had this double life that I was living and I had my activist friends. We would go to the protests and the marches and the rallies and do those things. And we had, I had my spiritual friends. We would do the meditations, the consciousness circles, whatever, you know, we're doing our ecstatic dances, all that good stuff. But these were kind of two different worlds because when I would talk to my activist friends, and this is again, 2010, 2011, a lot of the people I was meeting at the time were predominantly atheists for one reason or another. Like they consider themselves to be very logical, rational. They were sort of either libertarians or anarchists or, you know, what have you. And they're just like, yeah, like logical, rational thinking. That's all there is. And so I wasn't getting much response when I was like, hey, guys, you want to go to a meditation? To my activist friends, they were just like, what the heck are you talking about, hippie? And, you know, I just kind of kept that away from them. I was like, all right, I'll just do activist things with those people. And then I would go to my meditation circles, my spiritual friends, and maybe I'd say, hey guys, you want to come to this protest? There was a police shooting this, you know, another another shooting this week. You want to come help me protest? Or we're going to protest the Federal Reserve because they're rigging the, you know, economic system or whatever issue I was about. And people would plug their ears, put their head in the sand and say, don't talk about it. You're going to manifest it. You know, don't bring the bad vibes. And it was just the spiritual crowd that I was meeting was very much like, don't, you know, just, just let's just pretend everything's okay. And so, yeah, I had this kind of double life for a couple of years, but eventually it became clear to me that I couldn't really do that. And that to me, these are the same. I believe what we are facing is a spiritual war as much as it is a physical one. I mean, you can't really have one without the other. There's some people who very much get the spiritual side of things, but then they're all the way up in the air. They have no grounding, no footing on the foundation, you know, that the physical reality does exist. You do have a body, you know, and then there are other people who are so disinterested or devoid of you know, the world beyond the five senses that they're rooted only in the physical, what they can see, smell, taste, hear, you know, those kinds of things. And they deny anything beyond that. And for me, the truth, the, you know, true freedom comes from uh, finding like the pursuit of knowledge and healing and growth in both those realms, the physical, as well as the, you know, the internal, the spiritual, um, uh, psychological. And so the conscious resistance, as I call it, is the understanding, the recognition that the struggle for a more free world comes from both understanding the physical realm that there are corporations and governments and people doing things in the physical realm that are not you know helping the planet and not helping the people and not conducive to freedom and at the same time there are also different 
you know, um, idiosyncrasies and, and traumas and pains that each of us have in different ways based on our experience or just the human experience that I believe without healing and facing those things, we will continue to cycle and create these various you know, cycles of trauma that we experience on the human level and the individual level. And so that's kind of what I've called the conscious resistance. And then, as I said, I started to expand upon it in some of my books to call it holistic activism or holistic anarchism, which is just kind of even more specifically the idea that when you're trying to change the world around you, that it's important to take a really holistic approach. And, you know, that's kind of a buzzword, but it does have meaning. It comes from the philosophy of holism and studying whole systems rather than just individual parts because it changes the way you understand a topic or you know a field of research by looking at it holistically and so in our conversation in terms of trying to change the world make the world a better place you know it's very easy to point your finger and say it's the government it's the Monsanto, it's the bill gates it's those people right and not point your fingers back to ourselves and say well i'm actually contributing to the system i have my money in the bank you know i'm i'm working with the bank that's funding this pipeline on indigenous lands or whatever the thing may be right and so the holistic side comes in by asking individuals to look at your interpersonal relationships the way you make your money how you make your money where you spend your money uh where you get your food and how you source your food and what the cost of that is you know the kind of um job that you work all these different areas i mean you can really expand and go as deep as you want but that's you know kind of something that I've been just building on the last couple of years and writing about in my books, the conscious resistance trilogy, which kind of collects a lot of those, uh, those philosophies that I've been working on. But, you know, generally speaking that, that kind of encapsulates, encapsulate what I believe that, and my reason for having those beliefs is even more directly impacted by my own experience of dealing with self-harm and suicide attempts and depression and masking it through sex and drugs and alcohol and this and whatever else. And realizing that like, you know, if you had come to me with all these important topics that we're, you know, dealing with today, when I was going through that stuff, I would have been open. Like I said, I didn't trust the government. I would have been like, wow, they're really doing this. I can't believe it. Or, you know, that's really happening. But I was also just trying not to kill myself that day. I was trying to just make it through, you know, I wasn't in a good place. And so I, I couldn't come help and fight the good fight. And so it helped me realize once I got through that and out of that, that until we really do address this healing, which I think is different, not everybody's going to have the same sob story or same trauma. And, and that's the thing is somebody's story might sound to them like, oh, you, you went through so much. My story is so much smaller, but it's still your story. It's still your trauma. It's still your journey and your healing. And uh, I think that it's, it's just extremely important for us to remain open to that. And especially as I'll say this as two men speaking, um, it's something, not, at least in my experience, and maybe you and some of the audience can relate, is often discouraged in circles of men to talk about healing, to talk about like whatever traumas and things that we might have gone through, the growth that needs to happen, right? And so I think it's even more important because there's something that happens when you're able to forgive when you're able to you know forgive yourself forgive other people and it, it empowers you i mean you you move even more to like you were saying earlier like living your actual truth yeah definitely definitely yeah i resonate with a lot of what you're saying and you know also i think that th there's a connection here and you know between the whole kind of holistic um side of things and the spiritual side of things and freedom and liberty and you know these kind of ideas and Actually, this is something that I discussed with um, Andrew when we did when I did my podcast episode with him, and and he basically said like, you know, you you can't really like without freedom, like what what are you living for, right? Like that is the kind of route to self actualization, and I think that 
ultimately what we're all trying to do here and you know especially in the kind of spiritual community and in that that holistic community is that you are you are that is all a route for some kind of self-actualization right like the kind of their interlinked concepts and my belief is that like Mm -hmm. without freedom you can't ever self-actualize and you know for instance you know perhaps when you you were in prison you know you noticed that there was there was no freedom to be had there so then it could have almost been a bit of a catapult effect that when you when you kind of got out of prison it was like ah, okay i have the freedom now what am i going to use it for and you kind of have more of an inclination to say okay well i i now have the opportunity to self-actualize you know it's very difficult um to Mm self-actualize in a prison cell it's very difficult to you know just to use that more more broadly for the general population it's very difficult to self-actualize when you're in a a nine-to-five working in an office you know um whatever it is so i think that these two things are very linked you know finding freedom and finding a way to self-actualize and i think that Mm. everything that's happened since 2020 and i'm sure this happened before in history i don't think you know the world runs in cycles right and i'm sure that there has been times previously in history that people have kind of come to this same realization but you have these big events and it kind of forces you into the spiritual realm and then through that you develop a real thirst for freedom and it's almost like I believe that basically we have a default kind of level of freedom, which we're always kind of aiming to achieve. This is not not aiming, but it's just the natural order of things, which is that we want to be free. And when we stray too far away from that, we kind of get pulled back. And I think that that COVID has been that big, um, almost correction in this um, path of freedom in the world where we moved too far away from that and we needed something to bring it back. And it's not just COVID, like you said, you know, you've got the whole agenda 2030 stuff and uh, you know, the whole direction of the the world that the WEF and all these other organizations are trying to push things. They're trying to push things to um, a position where we have less freedom, but I think the more they try to push it, the more that it kind of forces people to become more in touch through that friction in their lives to become more in touch with their spiritual selves. And that is going to kind of bring around a transformation in the world. And that has a kind of contagion effect in itself because we then go, okay, like, you know, now that I'm more spiritually connected, connected, I become a kind of um, conduit for this in my life and the, and the people around me and my, you know, my family, my friends, et cetera. And then that kind of builds and has a domino effect, which, which is why I remain optimistic of where we're going in all this. Yeah. I think that that's really important, man, because, you know, I've, it took me a couple of years. I, you know, I mentioned Alex Jones earlier. I went through my brief period of um, kind of getting sucked into Infowars and, and some of the stuff in the beginning. And, and, you know, it's the kind of person, the kind of thing that makes you feel like it's about to happen. Like, oh my God, like tomorrow they're about to take us out of our houses and take us away to FEMA camps. Like it's so intense, right? Then yeah. you kind of get to a point or ideally you get to a point where you're like, okay, I can relax. This is true. These things are happening, but it's not as intense as maybe some people are trying to sell me. Let me step back. But then, of course, like you said, with COVID, things did accelerate and it became this whole new awareness. But my point is that it took me a couple of years to really start to think about it on a deeper level. And ultimately, I believe they, whoever you know, you want to insert they, um, we named some names, Klaus Schwab, some of these types, maybe even the people behind them, whatever names you want to put there. They, the Henry Kissingers of the world, those types of people, the, the war criminals, I fully believe on a energetic, spiritual, whatever you want to say level, that there is a purpose being served. And it might be beyond our understanding, like, you know, for whatever reason, people like us, maybe we didn't drink enough fluoride, maybe we didn't watch enough TV, I don't know. But for whatever reason, we're here, we are playing the role that we're playing to bring these conversations, to bring this this stuff to light. And at the same time, they are playing the role that they're playing. And, you know, without them playing the role they're playing, we wouldn't be waking up. 
You know what I mean? Like if there wasn't something for Alex Jones to make a documentary about, if there wasn't a Federal Reserve for Ron Paul to wrote a, write a book about, then there wouldn't be a movement to build, to respond and to react and to say, is there a better way to do things? You know what I mean? So I feel like that's really kind of the catalyst of COVID in that way. And that's what I, you know, I was saying earlier about it being just like in some ways a positive thing. If it If it helps us to find more of our own truth and what it is we want to be and what kind of lives we want to lead, uh, lead, then I think that, you know, there's some positive element to it, you know, and I think that there is that kind of yin and yang, uh, positive and negative that we see where they're playing their role, whether we get it or understand it or not. And we are playing the role that we feel inclined to play. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. Oh man, there's, there's so many, I've got, so many things on this list that I wanted to talk to you about. And I think rather than do them all an injustice and kind of try to, to rattle through them all, you know, too quickly, um, maybe it's better to kind of split this up. I mean, you know, obviously if, if you're, if you're keen for it, like I'd be up for doing a, another conversation down the line, but, um, sure for now I'll just leave a few of them off and maybe, maybe, uh, yeah, we'll address them another time. Yeah, man. But yeah, let's uh, let's just end on on one final thing because I know that you've only got um, you know ten fifteen minutes to go, which is you mentioned about the conscious resistance, and I know that you've got um, freedom cells as well as a, as another kind of thing you're working on, and I just want you to go into first of all kind of how the you know the, the differences and similarities between those two things are they all kind of part of the same thing, and also just what it is that you're trying to achieve through your advocacy? Like what, what is the world that you want to see us achieve in 2030? Cool. Well, thank you again for giving me the opportunity to share my ideas and my work. I do appreciate it, man. And yeah, I'm definitely down to come back and have another dialogue down the line. Um, so the conscious resistance, uh, it, the conscious resistance.com is the website and it's short for the conscious resistance network, which is so when I when I started the activist group I mentioned before when I started getting involved it was called the Houston Freethinkers and that was obviously based in Houston it was a lot of people I was working with and even though we were a decentralized group just because I'm active and I'm a loudmouth people started to say that I was the leader of the Houston Freethinkers and if I would say something they would sort of say that I was speaking for the group and so I started to as I started to get more interested in journalism I would realize like I need to have a second and like somewhere else to speak my mind that's not like Derek Bros speaking for the Houston Freethinkers. And so that was kind of the original impetus. And I started this website just called The Conscious Resistance, just as a place to, I used to have an online radio show years ago with the same name. And it was a place to start just putting out my work, my, my interviews, my videos, reports, and stuff like that. And then as I mentioned, as I started to take it more serious, I kind of came up with this idea of making it a network. And so at different times over the years, we've had uh, a range of content creators, you know, people talking about politics, talking about crypto, talking about technology, yoga, spirituality. To me, I wanted the Conscious Resistance Network to be kind of a place that we could talk about any of these sort of topics. I mean, like I mentioned earlier, I've been interested in things like UFOs and Bigfoot and spontaneous human combustion since I was a little kid. So I'm kind of open-minded, clearly, you know, and in taking things like acid only helped me be more open-minded. So I wanted to have a place where I could do real journalism and talk about serious topics, but not feel like anything was necessarily, you know, out of bounds, you know, that if I wanted to do a video talking about UFOs, I could explore that topic. If I wanted to do something like a deep dive into crypto, I could do that, you know, or some other journalistic thing, like you mentioned, the finders investigating child trafficking and stuff like that. So the conscious resistance is like my main journalistic hub. This is where people can find my books, my documentaries, my podcasts, um, interviews, all kinds of stuff. And then there's also 
the work of other contributors that have come and gone over the years. So that's like the main place for that. And then the Freedom Cell Network itself is uh, a is another project of mine, but it is separate. That website is freedomcells.org and that's C-E-L-L-S, like the cells in your body. Each of those cells is beautiful and powerful on its own. It's unique. It's doing its own task, but it's also part of the larger organism, the larger whole, which is you, your entire body, your entire being. And that's sort of the goal of the Freedom Cell Network. I first learned about this concept from my buddy, John Bush uh, in Texas back in 2015. And he was talking about what he called the Central Texas Mutual Aid Society. And what if we started building these localized decentralized groups, mutual support groups that could be there to grow food together, uh, render aid in emergencies, weather emergencies, government emergencies, what have you, could uh, you know get encrypted communication, could have forms of self-defense. And it, as these local groups grow, they could eventually start to form a network that could compete with the, the current system itself. And that was a really lofty idea back in 2015. And I was inspired by it. So I started um, running with it and started doing what became known as freedom cells. That's what we call them. Uh, groups of ideally seven to eight people focused on skill sharing, knowledge sharing. It's meant to be uh, apolitical, solutions focused, you know, just all about building outside of the system. And so I've been promoting it since that time, 2016, doing videos, um, talks, presentations, writing about it in my books. But it wasn't until March 2020 when COVID happened that we saw this really rapid expansion and exponential growth of the network from like 1,500, 2,000 people on our current website till where we're at now, which is over 33,000 people. And we just on August 1st relaunched the site now and we upgraded, made some new features, made it easier for people to find each other. The whole reason the site exists is to help people find people in their community. So you go on there, you create a free profile. What are your skills? What are your interests? What are your goals? Um, are you a permaculturist? Are you a gardener? Are you a builder? Are you ready to buy land? Are you looking to just meet in person or only want to talk online? You know, you can put all these things on your profile and people can go, you can go to the maps and you can search. Like, let's say you want to search Houston. Show me all the people in Houston who are ready to meet in line, who are, who are ready to meet in person, who are interested in growing food. And then it'll show you the people who meet those qualifications. Or you can be more broad and say, just show me everybody that lives in my area within 10 miles, things like that, right? So um, it's meant to be a way for people to connect, to find each other. And it's been really beautiful to see that it's working. You know, it's like, there's not all the groups that call themselves Freedom Cells on Telegram or on our website or as active as others, but there are many people who understand the concept and who are now growing food together, homeschooling their kids together, um, you know, de-googling de their phones. They're, you know, just doing Linux workshops. I mean, there's so many different areas that we're seeing people focus on. So that is the main goal of that project is to help people connect with each other. You know, so many people have told me, as I mentioned earlier, over the years that they felt alone. They felt isolated. They thought they were crazy. And so this is a way for people who maybe haven't got plugged into their local community. And, you know, because some people live in an area where there's 10 different activist groups and there's always something to do. And it's, you know, it's easy to find people. Others, live in a place that might be harder. They haven't connected with like minds yet. And using our website and our tools, people have, you know, it's, it's been really beautiful to see that it's actually working. And all we're doing is just facilitating the exchange, the connection. We're not like, you know, taking any information from people. We're not charging anything, anything like that. So yeah, that website is freedomcells.org. And the Freedom Cell Network is the 
organization or the lack of organization, if you will, that is behind the greater reset. So, you know, they're, they're all kind of interrelated, but they're also kind of separate projects, but I encourage everybody to check out, yeah, my work at the conscious resistance.com, check out freedomcells.org. And if you're interested in coming to an event like the greater reset, that's focused on solutions, it's January, 2023, uh, where you can come to the Texas event or come down to Mexico and, you know, just get connected with more people. Cause you know, my, and, and to wrap it up with the answer to your other question, like the reason I'm doing all this is because I think that my six nieces and nephews who are 12 and under, and especially the youngest ones who have just seen the last two years of people wearing masks and being shut down and locked down and all this stuff, that they deserve a better world. You know, they deserve a world where they do still understand and maintain the concept of bodily autonomy. And the reality is that the people who are the people in the World Economic Forum and these different players, you know, they do have advantages over us. They have trillions of dollars at their disposal. They have multinational corporations working with them. They have, you know, these uh, governments around the world. They're working night and day on this marketing campaign to transform the world and the vision they want. Now, I think that if we don't want to get swept up in that vision, because that's the, the dangerous thing is you can say, OK, that's great, Derek. This sounds all nice and good, but I don't have time for that. That doesn't matter. It will still affect you. By sitting still, you're not resisting. You know, by kind of ignoring, putting your head in the sand, you're not stopping what's coming. To me, the solution is to build a better world. And that better world is a, a world of freedom of choice, of freedom of speech, of bodily autonomy, of self-ownership, and of respecting that amongst each other. And that's like, to me, is at the core of it. You know, those are like the core values that I try to promote, self-ownership, uh, the golden rule, the non-aggression principle, bodily autonomy, and then in line with uh, indigenous ways of thinking, the seven generation principle, thinking not only about the ways that the lives we live are impact, impacting the people around us now, but how they're going to impact the people in the coming seven generations and beyond. And so that's really try, how do I try to live my life. And I'm, I can't tell people what the world should look like. I know what I would like for my my world. And this is why I'm in the process of buying land in Mexico, working with a small community to build the project that we call the Conscious Agora, using permaculture principles, building it around the sovereignty of the individual and mindfulness and, you know, trying to, you know, cr create a model to show people that it is possible to live another way. And I, I just think that that's where we should be putting our energy and time into building new systems and, and trying to see what is the 2030 we're going to look like. Cause I don't know if any of us really know what we're headed towards. We just know, what we don't want love it man well thanks so much for coming on and you know really appreciate all the work you're doing so keep that up and i will be in touch for round two hey brother appreciate it thank you so much man and uh yeah it's been a great conversation look forward to the next one